Hello, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sends Hour podcast. It's Shane alongside Derek. Before we jump into it, we are sponsored by DraftKings. Head on over to DraftKings.com to start your daily fantasy hockey. Just pick six players under the salary cap for your chance to win million dollars in prizes. Use promo code THPN to be entered into a chance to a free chance to win a million dollars and also customize sports head on over to customizesports.com use sends hour to get 10% off your order if you haven't checked out our twitter uh, I personally just got a Tim Stutzla kit with the amulet on it looks amazing uh, the link uh, is on our on our instagram twitter will be on in the video as well so I hope you're all having a good one we have some big things to get into starting with the abysmal uh, last two games against the Canucks. Uh, yeah, rough ride for sure for the Ottawa Senators against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they were outscored heavily. I think they scored three goals the whole series. Um, so, you know, a combination of a lot of things happening there for Ottawa. And uh, they could not even hold a candle to uh, the Vancouver Canucks who were struggling ahead of that series. Yeah, and I mean, we outshot them. Uh, one of the one of the guys for New York Suns, Jack Richardson, mentioned that all three games we outshot Vancouver, and you know, I, total shots don't necessarily matter depending on where the shots are coming from. If you're getting, you know, if you have twenty shots from the perimeter, you're most likely not going to be scoring many goals from there. Kind of looking at the the advanced stats, it kind of looks where what kind of happened with Ottawa. It was a lot of outside shots kind of throw-ins towards the net to see what would happen but you know that defense and that goaltending were just dreadful (laughs) dreadful. yeah yeah that's what uh, that's what ultimately killed the Ottawa Senators in this series I mean you could attribute so many of those goals to bad goaltending and then just you know on the other hand offensively, I don't know what's going on, but they just can't get it going. They can't find the right combinations that they just can't buy goals right now. And they're getting chances. Like that's, I guess that's the positive thing. There's a lot of bad puck luck going on. And I think that's some of it, but as you said, like, you know, a lot of the chances are perimeter chances and kind of, you know, shots from the outside. The only time they're really crashing the net is when Brady Kachuk takes it directly to the net. And, you know, it's generally speaking, his line is doing something offensively for Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, we've generated quite a lot of offense with that top line. And, I mean, overall, like, if you look, really, if you look at lines one through three over the first three games, they were all generating offense. and just couldn't get the puck in. It's kind of the same situation that we had last year where we would go on stretch of games where we would have the chances. We just couldn't finish on those chances. And, you know, bringing in a quality finisher like Evgeny Dadanov was supposed to change that. You know, that's a player that the Senators brought in. And then, you know, players that are a little bit older and further along in their development, Drake Batherson being one of them, you know, hasn't scored a goal yet. He's had a terrific start to the season, but he hasn't scored a goal yet. And, you know, Josh Norris has a couple, but uh, ultimately it's just been the Senators' un- inability to uh, to finish plays and, uh, I don't know if that speaks to the youth on their team or the lack of veteran presence that they have because they have veterans, but they're not exactly prominent veterans that are, um, you know, very strong in a supportive role to these youth. So uh, it just has not worked out thus far for Ottawa. 
Yeah, I mean, looking at the roster, you would expect a little bit more goal scoring. And it's kind of unfortunate that it hasn't happened. Honestly, like, looking at the roster, you look at the chances, even on the power play, they've generated chances, and it just hasn't, you know, the net seems like it's only two feet, two feet big. So, you know, it's a two-by-two, and it's not going in for them. And, and you know, I, I hate to keep pointing the finger at Evgeny Dadnov, but, you know, you're paying this player, and he has a certain amount of expectations coming in. And the slow start was one thing, but we're eight games in the season now, and we're playing a shortened season, a 56-game season. So he has to get it going in some way, shape, or form. And I think they've, you know, DJ Smith, to his credit, has tried different players with Dadnov to see if he can generate that offensive touch that he had in Florida. And uh, it, it's becoming more and more clear that maybe he was just a really good complimentary player playing with two exceptional players in Barkov and Huberto. Yeah, it's either that or, you know, the no training camp hurt Dadanoff, right? You have a, a same thing with Murray. You know, you have a lot of new guys coming in. A 10-day training camp is not enough to get acclimated and comfortable with a lot of guys. It's not enough for a coach to see who works with who and what works with certain players on the ice. So, unfortunately for Ottawa, with the amount of player turnover you've had, uh, with a, a second-year head coach who didn't even get to finish out his first year, the first you know eight games really have been kind of their preseason games to to a certain extent. Yeah, I think you know we talked about that too last week with Steve Warren, and that's exactly right. This is you know basically a preseason, but even then, I mean, you're expecting a guy like Dadnov, who's a veteran player who has all this experience. You know, you're expecting him to adapt a little bit sooner to the lineup. Um, we'll give him a little bit more rope. Um, you know, it's not time to give up on him, but uh, he has to get it going here soon. He has to start looking like the player that he was or close to the player he was in Florida. And, you know, the defense and goaltending, that's another issue. And and that's one that uh, is way more serious. Yeah, Hogberg. Like, Hogberg looked, in my opinion, against Vancouver, Hogberg looked better overall than Murray did. Outside of the one game, where, like that one bad rebound, Murray has looked very shaky the last couple of games. Very bad rebound control for Murray, leading to some really costly goals for the Sens. I would start Hogberg uh, the first game against Edmonton. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, Shane. It, the, the problem is looking better than Murray is almost anybody else in the league right now. I mean, Murray's numbers are so bad that anybody looks good compared to Murray. I, I think we're almost at the point now because, honestly, Hogberg's letting some juicy rebounds float out to the slot as well. We're nearly at the point where we have to start looking at possibly bringing in Joey Decord, who's on the taxi squad and kind of ready to go if the senators call his number. So, I mean, I, I'm really close to suggesting that maybe you go and take a shot on Joey Decord and see what he could do. Well, it's kind of funny that you uh, you mention it because Brent Wallace did ask DJ Smith about the possibility of giving Joey Decord a start. And his, um, his quote, and this is coming directly from Brent Wallace, uh, he says he thought about it but doesn't sound like he is making that move anytime soon. 
Smith says Matt Murray is our goalie and he is going to dig us out of this. When you give someone 6.24 million or 25 million over the four years, that's kind of the answer I'm expecting from a coach. The fact that he's thought about putting Decord in though kind of makes me feel like you know Murray and Hogberg have a short leash. If they have a couple of guy bad games in a row, you know, Decor could easily be called upon. I think Murray started with at least a, a, a fairly decent sized leash, but when you look this bad, I mean this early in the season, it it's almost, you know, it's almost unparalleled the start that they've had here with goaltending. It it really you have to go way back before you know, Ottawa's had this bad of goaltending. It was like the Martin Gerber days when it was, you know, every shot was going in. And, and that's what it feels like right now. And I'm sure the team in front of Murray and Hogberg are feeling the same way. Like they just can't surrender shots. So they're playing probably a little bit more tightly than they need to be. And I maybe mean, that's why we see this collapse. To be fair, though, there's some things where like you can't leave Elias Pedersen that close, like that close to the slot with that much time and expect your goaltender to make a save. Like it just is not going to happen. I think as bad, as bad the rebounds have been for, for both Murray and Hogberg, we can all agree on that. There have been some very juicy, you know, I think what two game two goals against Winnipeg uh, in Hogberg's first start backdoor, like backdoor tap-ins, you yeah. know, th- there's goals like that where you look at and you're like, how, like, how do you expect a goalie to stop this? Like, what? And I think we gave Murray the benefit of the doubt early in the season because there was a lot of goals like that. And maybe we need to. Maybe we need to revisit the goaltenders and actually look at, you know, the quality of goals that they're giving up and what's going on around them that end up into that those situations. Yeah, and, and you know, the defense collectively has really struggled um, maybe even the offense supporting the defense has struggled. So, I mean, it, it really is. It's a team game, and, and you win as a team, you lose as a, as a team, they say. But when you're losing this badly, you really start to look at that goaltending situation. You look at that defense situation, which everyone looked at before the season started and said, you know, this defense probably isn't good enough to dig yourself out of the bottom two spots in the league. And um, and that's probably what we're seeing here early. It is still early, but uh, the Senators have now dug themselves a decent-sized crater to uh, to try to dig out of. Um, now, the positive side to that is if they win the next two games against Edmonton, they're not going to be last in the league because they're going to pass the Edmonton Oilers in the standings. Oh, 100%. I mean, I and this is what I've been saying all along. Like, you know, the, the Canadian division is going to be so tight so often that you get a couple of wins against your, you know, whoever you're trailing and depending on what happened the series before, you could easily overtake them, which is why, you know, losing, getting swept back-to-back series against Winnipeg and Vancouver hurts. You've, you've gotten one point out of the possible 12. Like that, that's impactful. Going against Edmonton, if we can get, you know, two out of the four or three out of the four or four out of the four, you're jumping over Edmonton. You're back into the race against Calgary, who, yes, you'll have they'll have like four games in hand or whatever the case. But at least you will still be in the race 
around there, depending on what happens with the other teams that you're chasing. Yeah. And, and there are positives to take out of these games in the, you know, the three games that they played to Van, uh, against Vancouver. And it's hard to find positives when you're losing that badly, but I guess they gradually got better. It was what seven, one, five, one, and then four, one. So they something like that. Yeah. So, so they gradually got better. And I think the last game that it was four, one, um, when you look at the possession stats, Ottawa was the better team in that game. So, I mean, for large stretches in that game, Ottawa, even large stretches in the series against Vancouver, like the Winnipeg series, Ottawa was actually the better team uh, when it comes to possession and, um, you know, creating chances offensively. But it, it clearly just didn't pan out for them. Well, like we're a minus 19 in goal differential because of how bad that 7-1 loss was. But we've given up the same after this series. Vancouver gave up three goals total to Ottawa. We're tied in goals against with Vancouver, and we're seven points ahead, like behind them. If we beat Edmonton in in this two games, we'll jump up to seven points, which will put us a point ahead of the Oilers for for sixth. And you know, Calgary hasn't looked that great. Vancouver overall, like outside of their game against Ottawa, hasn't looked the greatest. So if you look at their schedules, like we could easily, who knows, by, by the end of this week, we have two games against Montreal. Those are going to be big games. And they're and Montreal's playing Vancouver again. Like uh, Monday and Tuesday, they're back-to-back against Vancouver, Montreal. So if we can get the two points against Edmonton and Vancouver loses – by the time we play, and then they play the the Leafs. So if we can somehow manage to to get some points here and there, we could be ahead of Vancouver and ahead of Edmonton and event ahead of Calgary, depending on how the schedule goes. Yeah, absolutely, Shane. It it really is a matter of you know winning. They've got to take it a game at a time right now. They they can't kind of look ahead and try to dig themselves out of the hole and and think you know five games in advance. But we can on the outside, but, but the team right now and DJ Smith, and they're going to focus on this. They're going to focus on winning a shift and then winning a period and then winning a game. And, and it's going to have to go in very small increments um, just because of the, the negativity and the doubt. I mean, the self doubt that, uh, that has to be inside the minds of uh, each Ottawa senators player right now. So, so it's a matter of taking everything in stride, just, just one thing at a time, try to win a puck battle. Yeah, and I mean, talking about the Oilers, four of their next five games are against the Senators. So yeah, that, that's eight points right there that, you know, they play Toronto, and then they have a two against Ottawa, then they play Calgary, and then two against Ottawa. If let's say they were to lose the, the Toronto game, tie like we split this series, lose to Van, uh, Calgary, and we split another series, if we get points in our games, like there is no telling where we could be in the standings by the middle of no, like by Valentine's Day, we could easily be sitting, you know, fifth, like fifth or fourth in the division by uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah. And, and the Oilers have not looked great either. Like that's another thing to keep in mind outside of McDavid and Drysaddle, who have combined for 73% of the Oilers' goals this season. What do they have? I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Tyler I mean, Yamamoto, not a whole lot of depth scoring there for, for Edmonton. 
No, and I mean, if if Murray, and here's the thing, if Murray or Hogberg can get on a roll, like if Murray can find his old self and kind of give us consistent, solid goaltending, Ottawa can beat Koskinen. Ottawa can beat whoever they have as their backup right now because Smith is hurt. You know, I feel confident in our in our forwards to be able to beat who's ever in net, but we can't win games by shooting ourselves in the foot with, you know, unreliable goaltending. No, exactly. We have to have the stops that are expected to be stopped have to be stopped. And, you know, the ones that are expected to go in, that's fine. You, you could, you know, you can have a couple of them beat you. You're not probably not going to shut down McDavid or Dreisaitl for two games straight. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, 14 points and 13 points, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, they are lighting up the league and they're very, very hard to stop. But if you can prevent them from having a huge, you know, night offensively and, you know, shut down the rest of the team, which is fairly easy to do, and put up some shots, get some traffic in front of the net. You know, Koskinen's played in every single game so far for the Oilers. I wonder if the Oilers look at the Senators and think, you know, this is an opportunity to use our backup. Yeah, easily. And here's the thing, you know, you're not going to stop McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's just a given. But you have to force team like the depth players to step up. Kyle Turris, Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto, Poyarvi, uh, Neil. Like those are the guys that are have to going to be forced to step up. And yeah, okay, we're missing Shabbat. They're not going to have Clefbaum. Nurse looks kind of like he's regressed. Not going to lie. Like they're, you know, who knows what's going on with Bear? Like they have more question marks really than Ottawa right now. The only difference is, is that they have McDavid and Dreisaitl on their team. Yeah, that's, well, that's a big difference, but <laughs> that is a difference. Um, you know, when you have the best player in the world and, you know, maybe a top three player as well on your lineup, any given night, you're a threat to score. You know, your power play is obviously going to be a threat and it, it hasn't really taken off, uh, you know, in a huge sense for the Oilers. The penalty kill, on the other hand, that's another area where the Oilers PK, I mean, we talk about how bad the Senators PK is. The Oilers is worse than ours. They have a 72% penalty kill rate this season. It's bad. It is worse than our penalty kill. That's another area where, you know, Ottawa's power play is starting to look better. So special teams could play a factor here as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think when you're looking at teams like this, uh, special teams will always play a factor. But, yeah, you're right. Like, Ottawa's sitting kind of middle of the pack. They're 11th. Uh, Like, they're technically, like, um, 11th from the bottom. Yeah, yeah, they have the 11th worth. They're number 21 uh, at 75.8. And then, you know, Winnipeg's there. Edmonton is 20. So they're two spots below us, 72.4. But the power play's been huge. Yeah. You know, we're at, we're at 11.8, which I think is worse than what we were at last year. Edmonton's clipping at 20%, which is middle of the pack at 15. But <sighs> realistically, when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, it should Hopkins, be that high. Nurse, I mean, you should probably be near, you should be in the top five in the league. Am I not wrong? Oh, no. I mean, last year they were first. They were the top penalty yeah. like power play unit in the league. And they and, were, they still weren't like a top team, 
Like, and that's the thing is that yeah, they had the top power play unit, but they weren't even a. They were ninth overall in the league with eighty three points. Yeah. So they were barely a top ten team. Yeah. Because they played the most. Like they were. They played seventy one games. You had Dallas that was a point behind them at at sixty nine with two games in hand. Like Carolina with two points behind them at. So their power play was great, but their five on five play is garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the depth, like, you know, outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl, who does, does Edmonton really have? That's a threat offensively. Nobody really, I mean, a a bunch of question marks there. So if you're looking at the line combinations right now and, you know, DJ Smith has kind of spread them out a little bit. Um, you've got, you know, Kachuk and Norris together again, and they, and they put Connor Brown together with, with that unit. Um, you've got Tierney, Stutzla, and Batherson, which looked phenomenal last game. It was finally like, I, I think Tim Stutzla had to be the happiest, you know, player that I've seen. You see it on his face last, uh, last game against the Canucks. I mean, he was much happier playing in the offensive zone and getting opportunities. And, uh, you know, and you still got... Paul White and Dadnov, which is another solid line. So if that's the forward group against the Oilers, I think Ottawa's spread the wealth enough that you could start to take advantage of the lack of depth that the Oilers have offensively. Now, if Thomas Shabbat is out, we've got a whole nother can of beans that we got to get into. Yeah. And I mean, real, like realistically, uh, looking at their, their five on five, you know, we're two of the worst teams at giving up goals. Ottawa's first at 24. Not surprising considering how bad they played against the Canucks. Edmonton is third, like third worst, at 21. So these two teams have like a horrible five-on-five defensively. Uh, Oilers' five-on-five goals are 15. And then Ottawa's is 11 five-on-five goals. So inability to score on offense and stop people from scoring on offense five on five has been horrible for both teams. So this, this season, this two game series total toss up and it comes down to goaltending in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're talking about again, like two of the league's worst goaltenders right now in Matt Murray and uh, Koskinen, but, uh, and, and it could be Hogberg. I mean, if, if Hogberg steps in to play game one and he plays outstanding, would you then go and play him in, in the second game in the series? hundred percent. When you yeah. play like mon- you play Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, those are your th- those are your four games next this coming week. Yeah, and the other part to that is the Oilers are going to be on a back to back. They play Toronto, I believe, tonight. So yeah. Ottawa will get them on a back to back when they play them tomorrow night. They'll have a little bit of extra rest time because I think they play at seven tonight, and I think the game goes at nine o'clock uh, tomorrow. Yeah, it's nine o'clock. Um, and then I think it's nine and then eight. Yeah. Oh no, it's nine and then 10. Oh, it's a 10. Okay. Well, Tuesday's 10 o'clock, which is stupid because that's an (laughs) eight o'clock start local time in Edmonton. Hmm. More of the NHL's scheduling committee, whoever forms the scheduling, they do a really bad job. (laughs) Oh, hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like the scheduling times. I mean, no, so the, the scheduling times are set by, by like, Rogers and stuff. They're not even set by the NHL. 
So okay. the the uh, NHL is the schedule is fine. It's the times that the network has given these games that is ridiculous. But you know, before we head to break, you know, we're we were continuing the whole preview of of the Edmonton game. Uh, we'll go back real quick to the the good, the bad, and the ugly for the Vancouver game. We kind of got off topic. I mean, it happens often in this show. But before we move on to talk a little bit more about the Edmonton game and the lines, what are you, what's your good, bad, and ugly for the Vancouver series? Okay, so for good, I'm going to go with something probably a little bit surprising. Um, but uh, here's the thing. I, I'm sensing some improvement and less stubbornness from DJ Smith. So I'm going to give him the credit here. I'm going to go the good in that last game against Vancouver, I've seen a lot of good things. I've seen some things improving. I like how he spread the wealth um, offensively. He split up, you know, the number one line that was clicking. He split them up and threw Connor Brown on that line. But in doing so, he allowed Drake Batherson and Tim Stutzla to pair together. He played Colin White, and Colin White's looking a lot better uh, in the last couple of games. And Dadnov, you know, has Colin White and Nick Paul, so he should have some insulation there to get going. Um, so I credit DJ Smith for being less stubborn and and coming around a little bit on some of these bewildering moves early on in the season. That's the good for me. Um, the bad, the defense. I mean, just allowing you know X amount of shots um, from prime locations, rebound opportunities. Um, you know, just. The, the whole collapse that the defense is doing, it just speaks to the amount of goals that the Senators have surrendered here against the Vancouver Canucks. So I'm, I'm going defense for the bad. The ugly is an easy one here. It's the goaltending. I mean, you're not going to win any game in the National Hockey League with goaltending like that. So uh, it has to be better, and that's the ugly. Yeah, I mean, I think all three of them are, are reasonable. For me, uh, my my good as as much as you know DJ Smith's improvements with his coaching decisions, I understand that he's kind of strapped, kind of has his hands tied in terms of our cap situation being so close to the floor. If you were to remove certain players, so for me, the the good right now is the improvements from Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, who even though we, we were getting you know are on the scoreboard or butts kicked, those guys were still able to generate offense offense together and they were still able to drive the play. So seeing them being able to do that when we were losing is very good. So I'm going to take that as my good. Uh, the bad was the penalty kill. It mm-hmm. wasn't great. You can't be given the amount of time they did to Vancouver consistently on the power play and they were taking bad penalties. So, you know, the bad was the penalty kill. I know... There were some very chintzy calls and some missed calls on Vancouver that, you know, led to some scoring chances and to some goals. So, you know, but with that being, you can't, you can't blame the refs for everything. So I'm going to have them as my bad on the penalty kill. My ugly is, is again, goaltending. Can't be giving out juicy rebounds in front of the crease. I don't care if you're giving out a rebound out to the corner because that, that's proper rebound control. But rebounds out to the slot and rebounds in front of the crease – are always a no-go as a goaltender. They need to play up. They need to sharpen up and kind of get their head on right for Ottawa to have a chance to win hockey games. And the high blocker thing, Shane, it, it, it is a thing. I mean, you pointed it out. You were the first one to point it out, and I'll say that. But 
looking at it now, every time Vancouver had a breakaway, they were going high blocker on Murray every single time. Yeah, it, he's just, he's compensating for his glove. It's a thing. It absolutely that's what he's doing. Probably psychologically, he knows you know he struggled with the high glove last year, and he's compensating for it by exposing his blocker now. So I mean, it's uh, it's not been good. I think it's not necessarily him exposing his blocker, but players are leaning towards the glove side. You're seeing him cheat towards the glove side, which is leaving the the blocker side exposed. He's not because if you watch him, he's not really lowering that blocker until he you think he's they're going for a shot. They're they're psyching him into oh we're gonna go top corner on the glove side. And then as they're going for a shot, you can see him drop the blocker hand, start raising the glove hand, and then they pot it blocker side. Hmm. Like that, and that's just how it is. And, you know, as a player, that's great. Like that, Those are things that you need to notice as a goal scorer. But that's exactly what's happening with Murray is that he knows that his glove hand was weak last season. So he's overcompensating by guessing it early and leaving his blocker side exposed. Yeah, you know, Gru and, and the coaching staff need to get that fixed if they want Murray to have any success. And again, here we're not, you know, sort of ragging on on Matt Murray. It's no secret he needs to be better. He knows himself that he needs to be better. But Ottawa signed him to a long term contract worth a lot of money. Um, so we're expecting big things out of Matt Murray, and hopefully he can find some confidence here and, and turn the season around. And you know, maybe by the end of the year, we'll have a completely different perspective of Matt Murray, but it's it's clearly been a struggle for the first little bit of the season. But by no means are we giving up on Matt Murray. No, it's just not giving up. It's just noticing things that, that are happening. But before we jump into the Edmonton thing, we're halfway through the episode. We hit the 30-minute mark. We're going to take a quick break uh, here from our Blue Notes podcast guys, do the cover the St. Louis Blues for the network, and we'll be right back. After this short break, stay tuned, grab some water, come on back. See you in a bit. And now, the starting lineup for your Blue Notes podcast. Tom Franklin and the man called Wags. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes. I am one half of your Blue Notes team, Tom Franklin, joined by my teammates, the man called Wags. And we are your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. And that includes expert analysis, whether it's at Enterprise Center. When you're fighting for spots for the playoffs, one or two points could make the difference. And we'll be looking back at games like tonight here at Enterprise Center as lost opportunities. Or at home. Penalties, that was a big, big piece. You know, you're wearing down some of your best players because they're out on the, the ice for so many penalty kill opportunities. Just a complete breakdown. Blues first round pick, Jake Neighbors. Brayden Chan texted me and then uh, the head coach, Craig Berube, reached out as well. And um, Ryan O'Reilly as well. And then um, the next day on day two of the draft, uh, Tarasenko FaceTimed me. So uh, that was pretty cool. So. <laughs> and we're the only hockey podcast in the Hockey Podcast Network to have a Hawaiian hockey correspondent. The Hawaii Blues fan, Guy Bensing. In true Dan Kelly fashion, Dan Kelly says, F you, Keaton. 
I know who's the starting pitcher for game four of the World Series. You damn well know who the starting goalie is for game four of the NHL season. And then walked away. And we have a musician, too. Not only is he responsible for this fat beat you're listening to right now, but he has also performed absolute works of art. And it seems to me you played the game with a candle to your ear. Never wanting to leave the eyes when the pain set in. So check out Blue Notes wherever you get your podcasts from. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump. Listen to Blue Notes and always play to the whistle. A reminder that you can follow Blue Notes on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. I'm the voice of the blues, Tom Calhoun. And there, the boys from the Blue Nose Podcast. Fantastic guys. Talked to them before. Uh, super fun. I mean, Tom's great. Wags is fantastic. But before we get into it, we are also still sponsored by CustomizedSports.com. Head on over 10% off using uh, Sends Our promo code. And new promo for the month of February. Follow us on YouTube at Sends Hour. Retweet this on Instagram. You can reshare it on um uh, Instagram because it will be posted on there and type done when complete. You can do it on both Instagram and on Twitter to get a bonus entry. And then if you want, if you do want your own kit, you if you use promo code sends hour to get 10% off, you will also get a bonus entry into this giveaway. It'll be good for any kit you want. Doesn't have to be sends. So that'll be posted on Twitter and Instagram following the show. And honestly, you know, Having seen this, just like it, I have a branch room kit coming in with the amulets as well. These guys do fantastic work. Put a little bit of, you know, difference to your jerseys that other player, other people won't have. But we're going to head on into the Edmonton game, uh, break down the lines a little bit. Uh, we did mention it before that, you know, Tierney, uh, Stutzel, and Batherson are together. Uh, Kachuk, Norris, Connor Brown, Paul White, Dadanoff. That fourth line, though, Paquette, Stefan, and Watson. I don't understand why Paquette is in over Galchenyuk continuously. Yeah, that's another one that keeps grinding our gears a little bit here, Shane. It's, you know, Paquette is DJ Smith's guy. I mean, we've seen that now for the first little while this season. He is DJ Smith's Tom Pyatt. I mean, I'm willing to say it now. Paquette's the guy, unfortunately, Um some unfortunate news from Paquette, his agent passing away. Um, he did send out a nice little statement uh, in regards to that earlier. So, um, you know, have to give him respect for that statement. It was really well said. But uh, the on-ice stuff, I don't see why you put a guy like Paquette in over Shalapik, over Galchenyuk. I thought Philip Shalapik had a hell of a game. I mean, he's always good analytically. Like his, his stats, uh, underlying stats are always really good. But... He had some great touch passes. He was generating offense for that fourth line. Um, I don't mind Austin Watson whatsoever either early on in the season. I thought he's he's added some nice energy. He's a guy that obviously isn't afraid to go, uh, you know, make a, a huge hit in the corner and, and get the puck on net. But, uh, you know, a few struggles with some undisciplined penalties. But aside from that, I've liked his game. Yeah, I mean, I think Watson has probably been the best guy out of the guys that we've brought in, really. He's been consistent. He's been a fourth-line guy. 
there's nothing really to complain about, in my opinion, about him. But yeah, I, I don't know. Cat over Galchenyuk, I don't see. I, I really don't see it being a reason why. But that defense, though. Okay, Colbert, you want me to read it out? Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, you go. I can't even, it, I can't even do it. I can't. It's, it's hard to do. It's painful for us. So if Shabbat ends up being out, I mean, this is your D pairings against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, and no, this is not some kind of sick joke. It's it's Braden Coburn and Eric Goodbranson as your number one <laughs> D pairing. I, I kid you not. Uh, Mike Riley, Nikita Zaitsev, Josh Brown, and Artem Zub making his NHL debut. Zub Nation, he better be like the next coming of Christ or we are screwed. Put, here, here's my thing. Why is Co- why are two defensive defensemen together on the first unit? Like, <sighs> because they're perfectly going to shut down Connor McDavid and put an ass for at this point. Okay, <laughs> I don't even care. Putting that if you're gonna get your ass handed to you by McDavid and Drysidle, you may as well put Aspra and Zub as your first defensive pairing. At least the fans would be okay with that because it makes more sense than Coburn and Goodbranson. I mean, I, I said this earlier, but the biggest loss this team could face is losing Thomas Shabbat, and it's not even close. I mean, I'll, I'll say that Brady Kachuk is probably the best player on the team, but the most impactful loss the Ottawa Senators could possibly face is losing Thomas Shabbat Look at the D pairings without Shabbat. It's only okay. To be fair, though, it's only bad because well, Landon is hurt and we can't call up Brandstrom. Because if this was a normal year where we could call AHL players freely, and Landon wasn't hurt, we just have Brandstrom come in, have Landon in the lineup. It would be okay. But it's the fact that we don't have the ability to call up Brandstrom, and well, Landon is hurt. That we're looking at, like, I think losing Kachuk at this point. If you were to take Kachuk out and keep Shabbat in, we are just that we are more screwed than we are if we take Kachuk out or put take Shabbat out and put Kachuk in with this current roster. Kachuk brings way too much energy. Hey, may, here, here's the here's the thing. Maybe our defense will actually play better without Shabbat's costly turnovers. No. <laughs> not gonna happen no, no, I mean, but think about it there's been plenty of times they'll where never the, get the puck out of their end i mean it's just not gonna happen i mean it's not like we've been able to do it much with him in the lineup anyways no so, re- but- so realistically like if you watch shabbat we've and we've all mentioned it the last couple of games he's had some brutal brutal turnovers he had a good game and, last game much and better he, and then he got hurt which of course seems like a yeah. very ottawa thing to happen yeah. But realistically, over the first like six games, seven games, he was more of a liability than he was, you know, an asset for us when he was on the ice in terms of, you know, offensive production and, and defensive production. So obviously I think Ottawa's gonna get their ass handed to them. But it would be funny. It would be really funny if defensively they played better without Shabbat than they did with Shabbat. The Ottawa Senators are going to ice a defense core that Nikita Zaitsev is your best offensive option against the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night. I, I mean, Riley, technically? I guess. I, I, I don't know. Riley, I mean, you want to talk about turnovers. Con- I mean, you want to oh. talk turnovers. Mike Riley. 
I mean, he had a probably one of the worst games I've seen from a defenseman. I know how much we ragged on Cody Cece. I don't think he was ever as bad as I seen Mike Riley play in that yeah, second like, game against the Canucks. Oh, 100%. 100%. But realistically, though, I think we should just retire number five. I think the Senators should just take number five out of circulation because it seems like whoever wears it it's just curse. sucks. It, so maybe maybe we should just take number five out of circulation. Maybe it's a good thing Shabbat isn't wearing it. But I don't know. I, I don't see how losing Shabbat right now with his with his current play has been will be much of a will hurt because we haven't seen the Shabbat that we were used to. I mean, I don't know. You're still relying on this guy for 30 minutes a game almost. Um and and look at what's left. I mean, that's the problem. You take Kachuk out of the lineup and you've still got Stutzla who's who's probably going to play a much more prominent role. You've got Batherson, you've got Norris, you've got D- Dadnov, Paul, you've got guys there. You take Shabbat out of the lineup, and this is what we have. Coburn and Goodbranson, your number one D pairing. Oh, I mean, I hate the D pairing. Like, I don't understand why we couldn't put Asperat on the left side or put Zub on the right. Like, I don't you know. Have you do, do whatever you want. It's not going to make a difference. But you have, I mean, like, you have nothing to lose. So why not keep Coburn on the sideline and keep and just keep uh, and put Zaitsev in or Zaitsev, or like Asperon in and Zub in? Like, honestly, what what you have to lose if you do that? At this point, Shane, I'd rather scratch Braden Coburn and put Alex Galchenyuk in playing left defense. No, 11, <laughs> 13 and five. Screw it. Let's go 13 and five. There you go. <laughs> Let's try something new. Maybe Matt but, Murray can play defense. I mean, can we dress two goalies? Dress Murray as a player and then put Hogberg in. Pull a, a Craig Anderson when he was playing as a defenseman in beer league hockey in Florida. Let's do it. Oh, man. But, like, here, here's the thing. Like, I, I love Shabbat. I think Shabbat's going to be a great player. He has a positive Corsi. He's basically positive anything outside of goals against, which, I mean, isn't surprising because, like, I think everyone's at negative in goals against uh, versus goals for. But I just, I don't know. I think the turnovers for me have been so blatant from Shabbat that we've literally, people have said to bench him. We have had, I've seen, Twitter has basically been like, you should bench Shabbat. He's been that bad. So the fact that he he has the ability like he has the chance to sit like I, I don't know I don't see it as much of a like as big of a deal because people have been asking for Shabbat to be benched for the last like four games. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't see the, you know what good can come from that either. I mean, I know he's had blatant turnovers. He's had a few, you know, bobbling the puck here and there. I've been critical of him myself on Twitter, but by no means can you bench Thomas Shabbat or even have a game without him. I mean, he's basically the most important player on this roster in my mind. But here's the thing. You also get to see what other players are made out of. <laughs> Coburn? We know what he's made out of. No, Good but brand. like when, when, the, when the going gets tough, when they're relied on, like who can't – like even though the season is most likely going to be a write-off and whatnot, you have to look at the players that you have and be like, okay, who – 
because we're going home in like in two days. We're back in Ottawa on Wednesday, like on Wednesday, right? So you have to look at who is on your defense. You know, if Shabbat goes down, Willana goes down, and Coburn, Riley, they don't step up and try to be the best version of themselves that we have ever seen. You have to make changes based off that, which means, you know, bringing up Brandstromer or or allowing Asperard on. Like, so it could be a blessing in disguise because the team could look at who we have and be like, okay, no one stepped up when Shabbat was gone. We're going to send one of you or two of you guys down to the taxi squad and we're going to call up Brandstrom and give Brandstrom a shot to show us what he can do. Yeah, This the- can make or break Coburn or Riley on the main roster come Wednesday. The mistake was not having Brandstrom on the taxi squad. I mean, that's a guy that, you know, if Shabak goes down, you need Brandstrom basically now. Uh, just like last year when Willannon was hurt for the season, Ottawa was forced into playing Eric Brandstrom when I don't think they were really comfortable with it. But at this stage, um, you know, Pierre Dorian even said before the season started, he said that the one player he felt really bad about sending him down was Eric Brandstrom because he had an unfair training camp. He didn't really have a chance to prove himself with the COVID protocol. He was out most of the camp. Yeah. So it was is, it was a tough decision. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and this is the problem is that who would have foreseen Willanin and Shabbat missing time at the same time? Yeah. You know, that's not something you could foreshadow. And yeah, maybe you could you should plan, you know, like, you know, what happens if this happens, but you don't want to think of that, right? You don't want to think that two of your best offensive fo- like defensemen or puck moving defensemen are gonna be hurt during like during the same time frame and be out for the same game. Unfortunately, I mean, and that's the unfortunate part of it. That the fact that your plan B is Artem Zub drawing into the lineup and a number one D pairing of good Branson and Coburn, it, it's just not a very good plan B in my mind. But moving oh, on, maybe another solution comes via trade. Um, you know, there's a very popular player on the trade block right now. We're hearing news from and it's Vince Dunn um, out of St. Louis so you know is, is this a fit for the Ottawa Senators that's one thing that I see people going back and forth on on Twitter what do you think Shane so my my stance on it is if the price is right you can make it fit depending on what you want to do with Branstrom you know what do you want to do with Branstrom you because that's really like you can argue Vince Dunn being a, a third pairing defenseman it's easily, you know, if you have a top three of Shabbat, uh, Sanderson, and Dunn, you're set. The problem is, what do you do with Branstrom? You know, there's talk of, you know, Sanderson has moved play to the right side with North Dakota recently, so he can always move to the right side, and then you have Branstrom on the left. But you, if you bring in Dunn, you have to have a plan for Branstrom. Either he's part of the package going back, which talking to, to Tom from Blue Notes they don't need another defenseman. They need forward prospects. So we're probably looking at a, a straight deal one for one for, you know, Colin White for Vince Dunn or, or, you know, Logan Brown and a third round pick for Vince Dunn kind of thing. But I think you can make it work. And I think he could be short term and long term a very important part to Ottawa being a contending team. He's 24. He's won a cup. Like, yeah, and that's so that's where I go back and forth, you know, with some people on Twitter. I had this discussion earlier with a few people, but 
I see Vince Dunn as a good solution for today, certainly. <laughs> um, that's a huge improvement over Braden Coburn and Eric Branson. Um, I see him as an improvement possibly even tomorrow, you know, for next season. If you're looking at Sanderson being another year away, he could come in and he's easily a top four defenseman with this group right now. Um, and could he play with someone like Jacob Bernard Docker, for example, you know, next season? Absolutely, he could. Beyond those first couple years, I don't know that he's a long-term fixture. Are you going to pay a steep price to get someone who's going to play on your third pair? Probably not. I mean, I don't know why you would want to do that. Um, and, at, you know, if he was a right shot defenseman or if he had experience playing on his weak side, I would say absolutely go for it yesterday. I think that's a great fit. Now, having said that, if Ottawa has an opportunity to move Colin White for Vince Dunn, that's a move that I would consider doing. I mean, Colin White is probably going to be played out of his position anyway. I mean, we have guys like Shane Pinto coming up. Josh Norris is having an outstanding rookie season. Um, Tim Stutzla, eventually, is, is he going to shift to the center of the ice? Possibly. Are they going to draft a center? Possibly. I don't see Colin White really anymore as a long-term player on this team. And it's not just based on the slow start this season. So if there's an opportunity to move Colin White one for one for Vince Dunn, or even if you have to add maybe a second or a third, that's probably a move I would consider. Um, but do I think a team will outbid the Senators and offer St. Louis the first round pick that they're looking for? Yes, I do. I mean, hey, if there's a team that, like, and here's the thing, I said the same thing with Peugeot. If there's a team willing to take or give you a first-round pick for that kind of player, you take it nine times out of ten. Unless it's like, unless you feel the first-round pick isn't worth it, you know, if all, if all that team is offering you is a first-round pick, and you have a team like Ottawa who's like, hey, we'll give you Colin White and a third-round pick for Vince Dunn and a fifth-round pick. That's the better deal than just a straight first-round pick for Vince Dunn. The thing that comes down with, you know, any trades and whatnot is uh, just honestly, it, it comes to the um, expansion draft. We could we could trade for Vince Dunn and still protect him. You look at our roster. There's only like four defensemen that we actually need to to protect per se. And mm -hmm. if you add in Dunn, you're not you're not removing anyone from that equation that wouldn't necessarily be expendable anyways. Yeah. That's the, the benefit of being in the rebuild is there's really not a whole lot of players. Ottawa is going to have to expose because they're, they're in their entry level contracts. So, well, I mean, we're like Kachuk and Bath, Batherson Brown, anyone who's in their third year of a, of their ELC yeah. is, is exposed. And, and I got into this one with on Twitter. Uh, it's why Branstrom isn't technically he's he's exempt. You don't yeah. need we don't need to protect he's automatically uh, protected, right? Be, because even though he's been in the in the league, he's been in the AHL for three years. Because he's European and whatnot, his contract didn't start until he was twenty. So technically, he's in his second pro season, contract wise. Yeah, but my, so, yeah. There, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say, yeah, that makes a lot of these young guys, that makes them, you know, exempt from having to expose them or protect them. So, it, it, Realistically, Ottawa's biggest issue when it comes to, to the expansion is goaltenders. 
And I don't even know if it's an issue, really. I mean, they're going to have to expose one of, you would think, Hogberg or um, one, Decord. Well, they but, need to protect only one. You can only protect one goalie. Exactly. So so those goalies are going to be exposed. I mean, or you and expose they're probably Murray. not going to protect Matt Murray. So yeah, you, exactly. Why, why bother protecting Murray? Because he has the huge contract. Yeah, like are they really going to take him anyway? Not with who's available. Like, if you look at who who should be available, you know, you have Jake Allen, either Demko or or uh, Hopi should be available out of Vancouver, and you know, those are the only like those are the two goaltenders that are available out of Vancouver. So you're going to get one of those two goaltenders. You can probably get, you know, Allen out of Montreal. If you put if you you don't have to protect Hogberg if he's an RFA. So technically, what you could do if you're Ottawa is let go of Murray or expose Murray, uh, keep Decord, Decord, and then yeah. trade Hogberg to Calgary because Riddick's a free agent in Calgary. So you could trade him to Calgary. You could move Hogberg if you have to, if Murray doesn't get exposed or doesn't get taken. But if he does, well, then you have Decord and Hogberg as your one-two next season. Yeah, fair enough. And and if uh, Matt Murray continues to struggle as he does, I mean, maybe Ottawa pays Seattle to take him. Who knows? I mean, I would be very like there is a legitimate possibility that we see Dadanoff, Colin White, Nikita Zaitsev, and Matt Murray all exposed for uh, in the expansion draft. Yeah, exposing Zaitsev makes sense. I mean, they're probably not going to take on that contract anyway. No, so, I mean, they all have ridiculously long contracts. Well, yeah. not necessarily that enough, but they have big money contracts. And if you have mm-hmm. a big money contract, you know, you might not be the most enticing player for Seattle considering the, the situation that is COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would I would have no problem with all of those players that you named being exposed. I don't think the Seattle draft, at least for Ottawa, from a senator's perspective, it's not a huge concern for us this time. No, not not in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a chance that we make some trades because of it. Yeah. Where like we might be able to make a trade for someone who a team wants protect or can't protect, but doesn't want to lose for nothing. Absolutely. So. And we should start to see some trades. I think, as we approach the trade deadline, which is, you know, a lot sooner this year, um, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what the date is. I just know, you know, with the compressed schedule, it's uh, it's not going to be very far. Um, and I would guess that the trades are going to come earlier so that players could get to the team, uh, the destination that they're going to. Um, so we should start to see trades in probably in a couple of months. Um yeah, the trade deadline's April twelfth. Yeah, so so about two and a half months away. So I would not be surprised. I think trade deadline day is going to be relatively quiet. Yeah, the the problem is, you know, that quarantine period for teams that they have to look at kind of when they're playing and when they're hoping to go into the playoffs. Um, salary cap issues are huge this season as well. There's some teams that are just like literally pennies below the salary cap. So um, so it will be quiet. I think it'll be much quieter than it typically is. 
can they can the senators move on from some of these veteran players that they acquired like it's going to be tough yeah i don't think so but i mean hey at least they're all one year deals outside of watson yeah and watson's okay cuz he still provides you know uh, something on the ice as we said he's probably their best off season pickup to this to this point and realistically bad, he's, but... he's probably a guy who seattle might target he has term low contract kind of fill in in that bottom four role if you know, depending on who's available, it could easily happen. Yeah. And I mean, again, so be it. Like no one's going to be super upset if you lose an Austin Watson to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, that, that's for sure. And I, I'm I'm kind of excited to see what happens over the next like month. You know who I want to see healthy? Abramov. Yeah, I think he's a player that adds creativity he could play on the left side or the right side like he's a versatile player um we haven't got a chance to see him yet this season i want to see logan brown up i want to see branstrom up i want to see abramov up and i want to see those three in particular up by the end of the season um but i don't know if they could even do that i mean cap wise i don't know if they could do it and i don't know how they're going to move on from some of these veteran players so time will tell i mean you could do it it would just mean like ottawa just needs to keep stefan anisimov and a good branson on the 23 man roster to stay above the cap you know if you can you can send uh colburn and, and paquette and riley down to the the taxi squad yeah, and call up Brand- branstrom brown schlappick formanton whatever and they should still be cap compliant with room, like with wiggle room. Yeah. I, I don't think Paquette's going anywhere though. Like I think he's dating DJ Smith's daughter or something. There's, there's something going on there. They're definitely related somehow. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Did uh, to, Paquette didn't play for him. Did he? Something's, I don't know. There's gotta be some kind of history or, you know, they quickly became best friends. I don't know. There's, maybe uh, he's there's just something to, interesting. Maybe he's just trying to boost up the guy's value. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's no, a it, good penalty killer. Maybe that's about it. Yeah, I I have no idea on what what's going on with uh, with that. But hey, may, hey, who knows? Maybe they do. Yeah, no, they have no connection. They have literally zero. They they never cross paths. That we know of, but secretly, Paquette is. You heard it here first. Paquette is dating DJ Smith's daughter. I don't know I don't if he even he, has a daughter. I don't think he. I think he. I think he has a daughter that was like born like last year. Oh, <laughs> well, he has a son that's like seventeen. He was playing okay. with uh, DJ's kid was playing with Donovan's kid last year with the Canada Blazers. There's some kind of weird connection. There has to be. I don't know what it is, um, but we're going to do some digging and we're going to find out what that connection is because Paquette has become coach's pet pretty quickly here. And uh, we do not know why. It's a big mystery. Yeah, I don't get it. Played 25. But here's, and this is the thing though. He's played a good amount of games for Tampa, and that's everyone's argument. So who knows at this point? I don't know what's going on. I don't really care. Lots of players play games, but it doesn't mean that they're effective when they're playing the games. Uh, Agreed on that. But 
I think that's I think that's all we have for this show. I think we covered everything, even though it wasn't in order how we were going to do it. But hey, we we got around to it, so that's all that matters. Uh, do you have any predictions for Boy. these uh, the series that we can look back on on next Thursday? I mean, if Shabbat isn't back, I'm not going to predict a win with that decor in front of the goaltending that we've seen so far in the season. Um, I'm excited to see Zub. Um, obviously, I'm still excited to watch the game because we were complaining about no hockey for 310 days. So I'm looking forward to watching the games. I'm not going to predict a win if Shabbat's not in the lineup. It'll That's be fair. A it, yeah. yeah. What about I'm you? A, so I'm, I'm going to predict a win. I think Matt Murray has his best game of the season and probably his best game in a while. I think we're going to see uh, Stutzla and Batherson tear it up. Uh, and I think McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to get points, but they're going to be for like tourists and the, the depth of Edmonton is going to be forced to win the games. I don't think it's going to rely on McDavid and Dreisaitl. I will say that tomorrow night is probably their best chance. Like it's a, it's a back-to-back for Edmonton. It, Edmonton could be taking Ottawa lightly. Like they could look at the senators like, you know, this is a, an opportunity to play our backup that we haven't played yet. And I, I don't even know who their backup is without Smith, but it's nobody that's, I don't think ever played an NHL game before. So it's uh yeah, it's going to be um, interesting. Let's take a look at the Oilers roster for one second. Gronick. There you go. Gronick. Grosnick? I don't, I don't think he's played an NHL game. I'll take a look, but. He's played two games in his career. Uh, actually, he's looked good. I'm pretty sure Skinner. He's a 31-year-old, Troy Groznik. Oh, yeah, because Skinner just got put 19 minutes ago. He gets shifted to taxi squad. Groznik gets put up. Yeah, he's actually he's working with a 948 save percentage and a 152 goals against in the two career games that he's played. Woo! So two career games. What a large knows? sample size. That's like we're saying Ryan Poling is where he is being a career like is where he was a career three points a game average after his first game in the <laughs> NHL. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers mean nothing. He's basically these are the numbers that mean something. He's 31 years old and he's played two career games. He's obviously not an NHL level goaltender. So if Ottawa got a chance to to play him. Um, and the, the forward lines look like they do, even though the D looks as bad as it is on a back-to-back. Could the Senators win? Maybe. <laughs> I, I think they're going to split. I, I'm going to say it now. I think they're going to split. And we're going to split in a second because we've got to get going. We're over the hour time, but uh, that's it. Yeah. Thank you all for joining in. Now remember, follow us on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all that fun stuff. Uh, follow myself, Shane underscore Ryan, Derek Dealey 075 on Twitter. We'll be back with a brand new episode on probably Tuesday or Wednesday. You can check out, stay tuned. We'll, we'll post it on, on Twitter and whatnot when we're going live. If you already, if you have any questions, let us know. We'll answer them in the episode. Remember, we got a customized sports contest hitting the books right after this episode. Head up customized sports, sends our 10 and DraftKings TP, THPN for a chance at a million dollars. Have a good one, guys, and we will catch you here next week.